We're back. We're finishing up Thanksgiving leftovers. Hopefully, if you were like me, there was not only great food, but great family. And you also got to partake in the heaping amounts of sports that was taking place over this Thanksgiving week. It actually is going to lead us into one of our first nuggets as we start part two on sports, student athletics, from the youth stages up and through college. I got the best ball three as I was looking forward to. The trifecta that I mentioned last week. I got family. The nieces were in town. and got to absorb all of their cuteness in person. The food was fantastic. I still am eating it. And the football was great, as was the basketball. As I sit here recording, I'm still on a high after the Eagles pulled out win number 10 over the Bills in overtime. In Jalen, we trust, is the new T-shirt that I will be rocking in the near near future as he continues to show what a great leader he is. But again, not only was there great pro football this week, there was great college football. If you are a fan in the Midwest, the clash of the Titans took place between Michigan and Ohio State. Michigan took their third victory in a row. So as I discussed previously, Michigan just needed to let Coach Harbaugh sit out his suspension and keep it pushing, and now they have him back. No worse for the wear, still in the hunt for the college football playoffs and a shot at the national championship. Rivalry games were happening all over the country. Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Virginia, all over. Out here, it was kind of bittersweet when you think about the West Coast and football as the major college conference, the Pac-12, saw its last days. And if you're a Los Angelino like me, those last days went out on an L as the Bruins, UCLA Bruins, lost to Cal. And the Trojans also took an L in Caleb Williams' final collegiate game conference that has been around for a hundred years will now see itself broken into pieces so it'll be interesting to see what fandom looks like out here in the near future we also saw the end of season one for coach prime at four and eight so it'll be interesting to see now as the initial hype and celebrity pull has worn off how Coach Prime settles in to really run a Power 5 program. Already this week, you had the announcement that Warren Sapp, the Hall of Famer, will be joining the coaching staff, the defensive line staff for the Buffaloes. But on the other hand, one of the key recruiters on the Buffaloes staff will be departing. 
which gets me to where I want to start today in this open, which is the coaching carousel. It's my least favorite part of sports in general. I talked last week about all the things that sports do that are good. They are a boost to the community. They are a boost to school morale. They allow for schools to thrive because of the revenue that they generate through support, fandom, and advancement. But that also comes at a cost, and often that cost is when teams do not do well and do not meet expectations, whether um, outsized expectations or more moderate expectations, usually they're in the more out, outsized side, someone has to pay. Someone is held accountable, and usually that is the coach or parts of the coaching staff. And so it becomes my least favorite, excuse me, favorite part of the sports process because when you have coaches that are fired or dismissed, it means that there is disruption. Uh, there is disruption in the locker room as athletes have to now figure out how to adjust to a new regime. There is disruption in development Athletes now have to go from one style and, and perhaps one role that they've been prepping for to now potentially a new role. And then finally, on the personal side, and I know this from my days as a coach, there's a disruption of the family life. When coaches are fired, that means there's a move that has to be made. And very often, that is a move to a distant locale. It's not very often, for example, that you could get fired at USC and go right down the road to UCLA. That's not often the way it goes. So there's disruption to the family. So I often lament this time of year as we get closer to the end of the fall season that there will be people who are going to lose their jobs and have to start over it is one reason that, for me, the transfer portal and how it currently works is necessary because throughout my lifetime, often either a coach would have the opportunity to leave and take a new job. For example, Mike Elko leading Duke after a couple successful seasons to go back to Texas A&M, where he previously worked and now is the head coach. So often that is the case. Coaches get to take a new opportunity, but students are locked in. Now students, when a coach moves on, also have an opportunity to move on. Do the students always make the best decisions about the portal? No, but I do believe, given all the disruption, that they should not be punished when a coach is either fired or decides to take on a new job, I believe they should have the ability to move on just like the coach does. So, given that I laid that foundation today in terms of coaching, I want to talk a little bit more about all that goes into student athletics. Because, again, while there are many benefits to it, and there are so many athletes and their families who get into sports and enjoy the ride and, and are exhilarated and have goals of 
you know, playing in many of these venues that we see on TV. I'm a firm believer that they should be able to go into that process, eyes wide open, and understand all that goes with it so that it can plan accordingly. So I'm going to get into a few more nuggets that I have. I'm solo this week, no guests. Didn't want to bother anybody during Thanksgiving week, so we're going to be a little shorter this week. But I got a couple more nuggets that I want to go over as I reflect back on a great week of sports and all that I've watched this week while I was stuffing my belly full of all of the Thanksgiving favorites. So we'll be right back. All right, so let's get into the lessons. The first lesson was one that came to me immediately after last week's pod. A friend of mine hit me up and said, we're going to talk about time and how much time these practices take and when these practices happen as if people don't work. So I said, oh, yeah, I need to make sure I get into the time factor. So shout out Leanne Sands for your inspiration. So, yes, let's talk about time. Nugget that I... And, and we received as a family getting to youth sports is that there is no need to be jumping into the most competitive and cutthroat athletic environments right off the bat. It is perfectly fine to start off at your youth level, rec level of any sport, just so that a kid can learn the rules and learn how to play the game and work there gross motor skills out again if we're talking about just getting to athletics for the fun of it learn the organization the socialization there is no need for the added pressure of feeling like the stakes are high when they really aren't in the first place because kids are young so a huge proponent of whatever the local rec the local community uh, offerings are in terms of sports a great way to introduce it you're not often going to have the best coaching but you are going to have an opportunity to learn the sport get a sense of it get a feel for it and decide if it's something for you now if something takes hold then of course there are always going to be opportunities to bump up the level of skill of competition because, again, like we talked about last week, there are always going to be people looking to make the next star, find the next star, develop the next star, uh, be able to tout the competition of their league, uh, put on a tournament you know, that they can make money off of. So there's always going to be those opportunities. I'll never forget when we were a baseball family, uh, we got lessons to start off because we were going to participate in the local little league. And it was known that our little league was a fairly good one. One that, you know, was known to do well in the district and regionals and all that good stuff. And so after getting probably two or three months worth of lessons, we get to the little league the first time. Dimple one steps to the plate in coach pitch. Little League and, you know, hits his first pitch, the first pitch that he saw 
uh, to the fence. It almost was a home run in his first to bat. So that gave us an indication. All right, there's some there's some talent there, um, and we rode baseball um, until again, like I talked about last week, the Denver one no longer wanted to play baseball, and that was fine uh, because at that point he was saying to us that he wanted to do something else and he had committed and and stayed in baseball as long as it made sense for him now let's go back to the nugget there was a lot of time involved and we had to make a decision as a family what made sense to us so there were a lot of lessons for baseball both batting and pitching you know it, it's basketball you're gonna have to learn how to shoot if it's swimming you're gonna have to learn all the strokes certainly know that like you know if it's football it's it's finding a team and organization that you want to play for football can go as long as any sport these days especially in california football still being played right now we are still in the playoffs the players that started their camps in june and july are still playing football as we approach December. So there is a great amount of time that gets invested. And as you take each step in the progression, you have to be aware of what that time commitment will mean for your family. And are you ready to make that? Are you willing to commit to all the practices necessary? I think about all my gymnastics families that I know. You start to get up towards the middle of high school ranks. There's a jump in time commitment that happens and families have to decide if they are ready to do that because to be in the top level levels of gymnastics you have to put in that time in the gym and there are families that say you know what i, I don't want to do that because that means a different type of school experience that i want for my child so are you willing to commit not only to the practices but to the events themselves i remember during my swimming days, looking over and seeing my dad in the stands and just thinking about how much time he was spending on a pool deck in addition to having multiple jobs. And, and that was something that I thought about often, you know, and all the morning practices and all uh, the, the travel events that we went to, that basically became our family time was going to swimmings. There wasn't a lot of time for vacations because there was always meets, particularly in the summertime. So are you willing to do that? as a family again i reference all the great sports that i got to watch this week during thanksgiving there were games being played all over the world especially in college basketball is a popular time to take travel trips teams playing in maui and the bahamas and florida and, and the virgin islands so what does that mean for your family at thanksgiving time if you have a loved one playing in those events time is a massive piece of this puzzle at every step families have to decide what they are willing to commit if they are willing to continue to commit so that's lesson one are you willing to give up your time for the sport is the payoff going to be what you expect it to be at the end second lesson i made allusions to this last week so i want to get into it a little bit more this week second lesson is the idea of reclassification, and this is something that 
is is a phenomenon that has certainly grown. I would say in the last 10 years in particular, I've actually been so interested in this as I've been a sports parent that I started doing research on it. My, my, my research genes are triggered to understand and, and do some work on this so that families can have a better sense of how to do this and not get caught up in some of the pitfalls. So when we're talking about reclassification, we are talking about the idea of, um, holding a student back and maybe they repeat a grade specifically for the goal of sports. So often families will have discussions usually with a pediatrician about you know the right time to start school and they'll think about developmentally what's right for the child if the child's big enough, socially mature enough, you know, to go into school. And so that you know, is is something that's been happening since time and space. You know, we as a family, for example, had the Dumper one do developmental kindergarten and then do kindergarten as opposed to going to first grade. But these days you are seeing families, particularly at the middle school stage, delaying the entry into high school for better athletic specific opportunities and really taking advantage of Basically, you call it a middle school to high school gap year to spend the time to maybe have the student athlete get bigger, faster, stronger, so that now when they are entering high school, they are much more ready to enter high school, not at the frost soft or JV level, but at the varsity level. I get it. I have seen this work. For numerous families and by work I mean entering high school after having done eighth grade twice has led to students being able to step in certainly right at the junior varsity or varsity level be able to be four-year varsity participants therefore earning recognition for being on varsity at an earlier age being on the scene at an earlier age being more mature in both their body and their sense of the game so that they, they, they perform better on, on the high school stage. And that has led to, you know, greater recruiting options. I have seen it work, but I've also seen it where a student perhaps is not gate making the gains from that year, that extra year of eighth grade before entering high school. And they don't get the notoriety or recognition that they're looking for. So again, for me, it comes back to the idea that if you are a student athlete, yes, you can make decisions that will land you in a better athletic opportunity, but there still needs to be a balance. If you are holding a student back to the level where perhaps they are 19 and 20 and finishing high school. What does that mean socially? What does that mean maturity wise? You know, for me, I've always been a proponent of play out the strand. You know, if, if, a, if a kid needs an extra year, and this is just me talking, if a kid needs an extra year to, to develop at the end of high school, there are much more traditional gap programs that allow for that to happen. Now, again, finances might, finances might not dictate to have to happen, but 
but they are out there and students good enough, then you can take advantage. Or you go the junior college route at the end of high school and perhaps develop that way. There are plenty of athletes who have come out of the junior college ranks and have gone on to all levels of collegiate play. So there's more to say about reclassifying, but I just wanted to put it out there that it is certainly something that you want to be doing all the due diligence and consider all the variables when considering a reclass. Because what I hate to see is when families make the sacrifices necessary, you know, taking students you know, out of their peer group that they may have grown up with and moving them to a different situation, you know, where they're now with the younger students, you know, and now it doesn't work out in the end as they perhaps dreamed it would. So for me, reclassification, I would talk to not only athletic oriented folks on reclassification, but academically oriented folks so that there is a balance and a full understanding of what reclassifying means backwards or forwards, right? So there's the hold back and there's also the move forward once you have done the hold back, you know, if and when college opportunities make themselves known. So it is key to have mentors uh, and advisors that can help make that decision and that path more clear. Last thing I want to talk about is movement. And by movement, I'm talking about, you know, transferring, um, when to transfer. We heard Leland talk about that last week, our guest, you know, and he gave some insight into how he came to make decisions leading an Ivy League and ultimately ending up back close to home at UC Santa Barbara. The one thing that I wanted to add from both a parent and a coaching perspective about movement and transferring from place to place is to really think about what is the family's plan. So I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you choose an institution, whether college or high school, and you have looked at that institution, said that institution, made a commitment to that institution, um, you like the coach, you like the school, you like the environment, really be sure that all things have gone wrong before you take that leap to move. So what I mean gone wrong, I'm talking about perhaps the coach indeed sold a bill of goods and is not staying committed to a development program that they had in mind for the student. That makes sense for me to leave. Perhaps the balance between academics and athletics are causing undue stress and not what, you know, the family thought they could be. And it's leading to poor performance in either the classroom or the court and or both. That might be a time to make a different decision. For me, transferring is not something that you do willy-nilly just because someone comes along and says, listen, I understand that you're sitting in the bench over here, but I can start you over here. Because that might just mean that you're playing at a lower level or against lower competition or in not in a system that makes sense to you. So much like anything else that I'm talking about, when you're thinking about movement, that diligence and that family plan 
has to be considered and revisited because certainly in a place like California, if you transfer and you, you are not moving as a family, now you're going to have a sit-out period. You know, that does exist, and that exists in many places. Even though there are other ways to get around that, you know, you can move states altogether and be eligible right away. But here in California, if, you, if you're just switching schools, you don't move residences, now you have a sit-out period, and that now is time taken away from being on the court. So movement is a big thing. Again, it is not something to get caught up in the rumor mill and talking just with folks in the bleachers about when you're really thinking about transferring, I would highly recommend a serious conversation, not only with coaches, but trusted academic mentors. And then finally, a heart-to-heart family powwow. So at the end of the day, you're making a decision that makes sense to all parties involved, both student and parent. All right, enough pontificating. On that, for today, let me get into the Dean's List and the honor and wrap up this Thanksgiving edition of Taking Notes. In the Dean's Office this week, I would love to have a conversation with someone I am a fan of, comedian, actress, entrepreneur, Tiffany Haddish, who sadly on Friday was arrested on suspicion of driving under the influence, which would make for her second infraction in as many years. I would just love to have a discussion about the weight that she must be feeling given all that's been going on and how to do better because she's so talented and she has so many big goals and dreams and it's just a shame to see these current struggles so in the dean's office i would love to talk with tiffany hash on the other roll this week i want to send a salute to a group of teens in duck hill mississippi who are being proactive in addressing climate concerns that hit their community it is one that susceptible to mass flooding, often leaving foot-plus puddles of water after large rains happening happen. So they have created what is called the ACEEDS Creek Rangers Program, ACEEDS standing for Achieving Sustainability Through Education and Economic Development Solutions. The 20 kids and the local adults are finding ways to combat the climate change issues that they face so that the students ultimately do not have to miss so much school when rains and flooding is taking place in their community. So salute to the young people for not just sitting on the sidelines, but getting their hands dirty and trying to come up with solutions to problems that are affecting and impacting their lives. That's it for me this week. I hope everybody has a safe return to work following the holiday. And if you are traveling, safe travels back to your homes. I'll see you next week on Taking Notes with Dr. John Carroll. The views expressed by John Carroll in the preceding podcast are solely that of the author and do not necessarily reflect the views of his employers, companies, or other associated parties. Mm-hmm.